Well, good morning, church. It is great to be with you. My name is Ethan Magnus, one of the pastors here. I was traveling last week. Uh, glad to be back this week. Uh, it was a great week, though. It's, uh, it's a trip my wife and I go on every year. It's a gathering of other senior pastors of churches about our size. Uh, I love it. It's the best thing I do every year. They're all smarter than me. They've all been doing it longer than me. And so I just go with my list of questions. And uh, I feel like I learned the whole week. So uh, glad to glad to be there, but also glad to be back. The worst thing about it this year was it was in California. Uh, and it was crazy cold, like it shouldn't have been. We were in Southern California. It was crazy cold, practically freezing there and raining the whole time. But we were there eight days, just long enough for me to adjust to the time change. So when I got up at 6 a.m. this morning, it was 3 a.m. And boy, am I feeling it now. But I'm glad to be with you and uh, so glad to be back. Well, we're rolling through this series, uh, Love Like Jesus. And the premise is simple. Uh, Jesus calls us to imitate him, to follow him, and that means we need to imitate him in his love as well. We want to love like Jesus. Uh, last week we uh, kicked things off with my friend JD, uh, did a great job for us as we thought about how Jesus managed to make his meals moments of mission. Uh, Jesus didn't just eat to get fed, but he ate as a strategic part of expressing love to other people. And we thought about how we could do that as well. And this week, we're just going to look at one of the most basic teachings of Jesus on love. It's just one of the, the simplest ways Jesus talks about love. And it's this, if we want to love like Jesus, we've got to love and serve our neighbor. If we want to love like Jesus, we've got to love. And if you know anything about the, the love of Jesus and what Jesus said about love, you've probably heard something like this. Now, now this idea, it isn't actually original with Jesus. It's not from Jesus. It's one of the earliest things God teaches to God's people is that God wants them to love their neighbor. We see it all over the place in the Old Testament. Uh, one of the best places in, is in Leviticus chapter 19. This is right at the beginning of when Moses is giving God's people uh, the law by which God wants them to live. Uh, Leviticus 19 is the beginning of what scholars call the holiness code uh, because it's peppered with this reminder that God wants God's people to be holy like God is holy and holy it, it means to be different uh, to be uniquely righteous to be uniquely pure to be noticeably different it's, it's, sort, it's sort of like a, a be different code uh, Leviticus 19 kicks off like this the Lord said to Moses Speak to the entire assembly of Israel. Say to them, be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. There it is. Be different, because I'm different. And as you read through Leviticus 19, you'll notice that some of it is about farming practices. And some of it is about the clothes they wear. But not most of it. Most of it is about how they treat each other. Be different. Treat each other differently because I'm a different sort of God. Uh, Leviticus 19.9, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor or in the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Farm different because I'm a different God. Uh, Leviticus 19.32, 
Stand up in the presence of the aged, show respect for the elderly, and revere your God, for I am the Lord. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated like your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Do not use dishonest standards when measuring length, weight, or quantity, for I am the Lord your God. Again and again, this phrase, for I am the Lord your God. I'm a different sort of God, so you need to be a different sort of people. Different in how you treat the elderly. Different in how you treat the foreigner. Different in how you manage your business. Honest in business. And right in the middle of this chapter about how they're supposed to be a different sort of people because our God is a different sort of God, it says this, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. Be a different sort of people because I'm a different sort of God. And this idea is all throughout the Old Testament. Uh, This call to love your neighbor, it was a major theme among the prophets. We sometimes get confused about what the prophets spent their time doing. We're going to talk about that in a later series this year. But you need to know, more common than predicting the future, more often than talking about the Messiah, more often than just about anything else, the prophets reminded the people that they were supposed to be a different sort of people because they served a different sort of God. They were supposed to be loving their neighbors. All the kind of stuff we just read in Leviticus 19. Honest in business, caring for the foreigner, respecting the elderly, loving the people around them because they had been so loved by God. And this theme of loving your neighbor, which Jesus didn't invent, it extends beyond Jesus' ministry to uh, the Apostle Paul, an early Christian leader, planted a bunch of churches, wrote a bunch of the Bible. He wrote to the church in Philippi, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value others above yourself. Don't look to your own interests, but each of you look out for the interests of another. This theme of our invitation to love our neighbor runs from the beginning to the end of God's word and right in the middle in a crucial conversation it's reaffirmed and reauthorized by Jesus. If you're reading along with us in our New Testament in a Year Challenge, last week you read Mark 3 through 7 and then next week we're reading Mark 8 through 12, and in chapter 12, you'll get to this. Mark 12, 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given some pretty good answers, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? 
Now this question doesn't arise out of the blue. This was one of the favorite questions of the rabbis. You can look at Jewish literature of the time and see many of the rabbis would weigh in on which law was the most important. It was a popular debate topic. And Jesus has his answer ready. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. I love so many things about that answer. One of the things I loved is the question was, which is the greatest commandment? And he responds with two. So I sort of like that. Uh, somebody who doesn't know how to answer the question that they're asked. I kind of like that. So, but the other thing about this is you see here the heart of Christian moral teaching. Because of who our God is, we love our neighbor. It's just what we saw in Leviticus 19, isn't every one of those commands was peppered with because your God is the Lord. Because of who our God is and because of our love for God, we love our neighbor as ourself. This, this simple command, love your neighbor as yourself, is the heart of Christian moral teaching. And it's interesting if you let yourself become a student of church history, you'll notice there have been times when this principle right here was the reputation of the church. When the church was known, even by those who rejected faith, was known for a radical love of neighbor. I've read a little bit of this letter to you before because I just love it so much. It's written by the pagan emperor Julian to one of his chief priests in the region of what is now Turkey. And they're discussing strategy for how they can stop the spread of Christianity. Persecution had been tried by previous emperors and it was totally unsuccessful, but Julian really wants to stop Christianity and so he has a new strategy. His strategy is he wants the local chief priest to start appointing priests who are really good at loving their neighbor and caring for the poor. That's his strategy for how he's going to stop Christianity and his reasoning he offers is this. We must pay special attention to this point, for this is how we will effect a cure. For when it happened that the poor were neglected and overlooked by the Roman priests, I think these impious Galileans, that's what he calls Christians, noticed this fact and devoted themselves to philanthropy, and they have gained ascendancy in the worst of their deeds through the credit they win by their care for others. It's by this method, I say, that the Galileans, they begin with their love feasts and their hospitality and their waiting on tables and their delivery of food, for they have so many ways of carrying it out. They call it by so many names. And it's because of this that they have led so many 
into atheism, which is, again, what another name he uses for Christianity. He calls it atheism because they didn't believe in the Roman gods. I love this letter. I mean, it's just one of my favorite letters in all of the history of the world. It's a, it's a Roman emperor committed to the spread of paganism, writing to his Roman priest, who's also committed to the spread of paganism, lamenting the fact that they can't stop Christianity from spreading because they just love people too well. We have similar letters from a slightly different period talking about how Christians were the ones who rescued babies that had been left out on the street to die for families who didn't want more children. Christians were the ones who took in slaves that weren't being fed by their masters. Christians were the one who cared for the poor alongside the rich in communities that defied the social strata of the day. And again and again, you have critical authors observe that it is through this love that Christianity grows. But, if you're an honest student of church history, there have been other times, too. Times when the church was not known for its radical love of neighbor. But times when the church was known for its cruelty, for its hardness of heart, for its callousness to the poor, its bitterness to other nations, its cruelty to other races. At times, our love of neighbor has been our highest claims. And at times, it has been absent in our witness. And it seems to me that every generation of the church has to ask the same set of questions. Maybe you're asking this question right now. I hope you are. Uh, the first question is diagnostic. Every generation of the church has to ask a simple diagnostic question. Do we love like Jesus? Like not do we want to love like Jesus, or do we wish we loved like Jesus, or do we, do we hope to love like Jesus, but, but are we, as, as a church and as individual Christians, are we loving like Jesus? Is that our reputation? Is that your reputation? Are you known as the one who is especially kind to their neighbors? And after we've asked the diagnostic question, we have to ask the pragmatic question. Well, whatever we have done, whatever our current reputation is, the pragmatic question is then, will we love like Jesus? Whatever we do today, what will we do tomorrow? Here's, here's the thing that I observe. In my own life first, I, I notice it especially in my own life. But having noticed it in my own life, I start to notice it other places too. That this very simple command that resonates all the way from the earliest chapters of the Old Testament to the last chapters of the New Testament, this very simple command that's at the center of Jesus' message, there are sort of two ways out. Two ways that I try to wriggle out of this command of Jesus, and I discover that these two ways that I try, I'm not alone in this, everybody seems to be trying them. The two ways people try to get out of the command to love your neighbor as yourself are with two little questions. The first is this. Well, 
who exactly qualifies as my neighbor? And the second is this. Well, what exactly does it mean to love? This first question, the who exactly is my neighbor question, was also popular in Jesus' day. For they knew the Levitical code. They knew the command of God, love your neighbor as yourself. And they knew that to live in such a way would be such a radical posture of love as to totally disrupt our daily life. And so they wondered, well, who qualifies as my neighbor? In fact, Jesus one time was teaching on just this text. And he got interrupted with a bold asker from Luke chapter, I just lost the chapter, 10, thank you, it's on the screen. All right, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Someone asked him, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied, how do you read it? And he answered, maybe he'd heard Jesus preach other places. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? That's the first way we try to wriggle out of this text. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by the other side. A Levite, when he came to the same place, saw him and passed by the other side. But a Samaritan... As he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after them, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I love this little parable. I must say, my sympathies are with the priest and the Levite, and if you can't be a little bit sympathetic for them, you're not quite paying attention They were on their way to Jerusalem, you see. And a priest and a Levite on their way to Jerusalem have very specific religious responsibilities they must fulfill. And if they were to stop and tend to a man who was bleeding, a man who perhaps might die in their hands, they would have been rendered ritually unclean. They couldn't have worshipped. They couldn't have done their jobs. They couldn't have fulfilled their responsibilities to God So they did the sensible thing. I mean, he wasn't their neighbor after all, right? I mean, whatever definition of neighbor you want to come up with, certainly it doesn't include the random people we pass in the street. And yet it was the Samaritan. And in this day, just you need to know, the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They were despised racially. 
They were despised religiously as heretics. They were despised politically as colluders with Rome. They were hated. And yet it's the Samaritan who looks down and sees a neighbor. The standard answer to the question, who is my neighbor? If you asked any little kid, who is your neighbor? They might say, well, it's if, we, if we live on the same street, then we're neighbors, right? If they're, you know, they could be my next door neighbor or my across. If we, if we share a street, then we're neighbors. And it's as if Jesus in this parable gives the answer, everybody lives on the same street. I mean, if you keep walking far enough, everybody lives on the same street. If your paths cross, if you find yourself on the same street, well, then you're neighbors. It's one of the reasons I love Love Month so much. I love that this is part of our church tradition because it helps me broaden my sense of who my neighbor is. Now, I only live two miles away from the church. It's easy for me to go a, work, go a week just driving between my house and the church and back and forth. I only use like five roads. I can easily spend a whole week only drive on five roads. And so I need a broader sense of who my neighbor is or I might just forget. Uh, one of our Love Month projects, we're trying to do some stuff with the Second Harvest Food Bank, which is, they've got a big new initiative to try to make sure kids aren't going hungry in our town, our region. Kathy sent me a few stats, from Kathy from our staff, she sent me a few stats about my neighbors and yours. One in five residents in northeast Tennessee are living in poverty. That's, you, know, you, you walk through the mall, you see five people, one of them is living in poverty. For kids, it's one in four you go to the school and drop off your kids at school or draw, go, to, go, to, go, go to see your grandkids in a play at school, you start counting the kids. Hungry, not, not, not. Hungry, not, not, not. Hungry. That, that's it. One in four in our town. Second Harvest Food Bank wanted us to know a little bit about the people they serve. Um, seven out of ten of the people they serve in this month are having to make a choice between whether they're going to buy food or pay their utility bills. Seven out of ten, 70% of the people they serve in our town are making that choice this month. Seven out of ten this month are choosing between buying food and getting the medical care or paying for the prescription drugs that they need. 70% in our town. These are our neighbors. They might not live on the five streets that I drive between here and work, here in home, but there are neighbors. Five out of ten, half of the people that Second Harvest Food Bank serve here in our town are going to choose this month between paying their rent and getting all the food they need for their family. Half of them are. These are our neighbors. You see, the, the, the first way we try to wriggle out of this really simple teaching by Jesus, love your neighbor as yourself, is we try to shrink the list of who our neighbors are. I will say, if you want, if you want the full list, really, Leviticus 19, where, where the original teaching was from, the, the text Jesus is quoting there, 
It's a powerful list of who is your neighbor in that text. It's the poor and the needy and the foreigner and the slave. It's men and it's women. It's the elderly. It's young people. It's quite a list back there in Leviticus 19 of who we're reminded. That's that text. Be different because your God's different. Love people differently because your God's a different kind of God. That's the first way we wriggle out. The second way we wriggle out is a little different. I, I confess this is the way I'm more prone to. Not the who is my neighbor question, but the what must I do to love them? I I, I have discovered in my own self as I've been wrestling with this command of Jesus that the, the, the main way I wriggle out of this text is to assume that my loving attitude somehow fulfills the command of Jesus here. That my loving thoughts somehow satisfies what Jesus is calling me to. This apparently was a problem for other people too because it's addressed in the Bible. In the book of James, James writes to the church, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. This is the way I fail this text far too often. I have kind intentions. I have a big heart. I am ready to learn the lesson of the Good Samaritan that everybody I meet is my neighbor. If I cross paths with them in a street anywhere or wherever I meet, they're my neighbor. That lesson somehow I'm ready to learn. I just don't do anything about it. Which is another reason I love Love Month. Because for me, somehow that list of service projects, it wakes me up. It's like my heart is ready, but my hands are weak. And something about partnering with you all to actually make a difference in some of these places and get to work with our hands. Kathy sent back this story. Um, First Saturday this month, a bunch of you all went down to a bus station to give coffee away. And I've heard so many amazing stories from this project, but here's just one. Uh, One of our volunteers, one of y'all, was giving away coffee and got talking with a family and found out they were homeless and weren't sure what to do. So they got some contact information on them. The next morning they woke up early and started making phone calls. Got a hold of an organization we support here in the area called Family Promise. They found out what it took to get enrolled in the organization. They got back in touch with the family. They'd met on giving away coffee. They got the data from them and got in touch with them and they played matchmaker all day long by the end of day Monday. They were in a place to live. They were getting job training. Their kids were back in school. They got a social worker helping them save up a little money so they can rent an apartment. That's amazing. And it took them all day Monday to do it. It wouldn't wouldn't have helped that family for them just to go home brokenhearted after they gave them coffee. That family did not need another Christian feeling bad about them. They needed somebody to get a little hustle, make a few phone calls, and fill out a little bit of paperwork. And now that family's got housing and getting cared for, and who knows what God's going to do with that story just because somebody took their Monday to fill out some paperwork. Got an 
Andrea, our children's minister, was telling me about uh, we had 40 kids who woke up early on a recent Saturday morning to fix breakfast for 42 widows and senior adults, 15 volunteers. We talk about being a five-generational church. We had a five-generational breakfast, love brunch here a couple weeks ago. And, and, and you can't have brunch just with good intentions. Nobody ever ate good intentions for breakfast. Somebody's got to get up and cook a bunch of food and set a bunch of tables and sit there. If we want to love like Jesus, we've got to learn to love our neighbor. And my guess is most of us either have a heart issue or a hands issue when it comes to loving our neighbor. Or maybe both. It happens. And today, my guess is that there's, there are some barriers between the life you're living now and, and, and a life of radical love of neighbor. It, it could be a heart barrier. That, 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 that it, you're, just, you're just not, you're, you're looking for a short list of who your neighbor is. You don't want the long list that Jesus keeps giving you. And that there are people, I just see this, I have conversations all the time with people who have written lists of people they've decided not to love. I meet people, it's just gotten crazy, I meet people all the time who have decided they are just done loving people from whatever political party they're not a part of. I just, it's just, I don't even get it, but I meet people like that all the time. Or I meet people who they're just done loving people from other countries. Or they're done loving people of other races. Or they're done loving people with this agenda. Or they're done loving people with that agenda. And maybe Jesus needs to do some work on your heart today. To just expand it. God's word teaches the, 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 the way to start loving someone you don't yet love is to pray for them. And so maybe that's what you need to do. Or maybe, maybe I read that and you're like, no, 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 Ethan, I don't, none of that. My heart is there. I love all those people you just listed. Well, then maybe where God needs to work with you is with your hands. Maybe your heart is right. You just aren't acting on it. Maybe today is one of these days where you get to repent. I love repentance. I used to not like repentance, but I now love repentance. Repentance just means I get to align my life with Jesus' life. And, and that's just the coolest thing ever, when you get to align your life with Jesus' life. And, and maybe today you're just going to say, I'm going to repent of all those people I wasn't loving. I'm going to start loving them. Or I'm going to repent of, of thinking that I could love my neighbor just by feeling warm thoughts and not by actually doing anything. I'm just going to turn away from all that. Here, I'm going to get super practical with you just for a second, okay? Um, this feels like one of these sermons where if all we do is think about it, you know, and we just have warm feelings when we leave, then we sort of wasted our time together, okay? I'm going to get super practical. Okay, so Love Month. We talked about hungry kids in our region. So uh, we get, we, Second Harvest Food Bank reached out to us, and uh, they said right now their biggest need is food that kids, that elementary age kids especially, can cook for themselves at home. Because you've got a lot of kids of single families where the parent is either getting up early and going to work or coming home late because they're at work. And the kid has either got to make breakfast by themselves or they've got to make dinner by themselves. And if they don't have food that's easy for them to make, they just go hungry and don't eat. And we've got a lot of kids. I know some of you are thinking that can't be happening in our town. It's happening to 
lots of kids in our town. So their biggest need there right now is kid food that's easy to make. They made it real specific. They want these things from us. Cereal, peanut butter, microwavable mac and cheese, and pull-top soup. Like not the kind you can opener, but the kind that has a little tab on top. You with me? Okay. Here's the thing. Um, Kathy's got this thing where we're supposed to like bring this all back like in three weeks or something. But here's what I'm pretty sure of. I'm pretty sure if, if, if we think, if we leave today thinking our plan is to bring it back in three weeks, we are going to forget in three weeks. And all we're really going to do in three weeks is go, oh, doggone it. My heart was in the right place. My hands just didn't keep up. At least that's what I'm going to do if I wait three weeks. So here's what I was thinking we could do today for this one love month project is what if we just finished it today? What if just like today, like maybe you're going to Sunday school next, and then after Sunday school, before you go to lunch, you just drove to the grocery store, bought a whole bunch of that, and brought it back to church, and then go to lunch. And I'm going to say this to the other five services too, I would just like to finish this Love Month project today. Wouldn't that be fun if we just made this our, and that way we, nobody forgets, and we all go do it, and you, the lines will be long at Kroger, and you'll be like, are you? And you'll, be, you'll see somebody else with a cart full of cereal, peanut butter, microwave mac and cheese, and pull stop stoop, and you'll be like, you must go to my church. I do. And you'll meet each other in the grocery store aisle. We got some applause over there. All right, he'll be in the grocery store line. Let's do that today. Let's just finish this today, okay? So let's just do that, and you'll get to know somebody in the grocery store aisle right after church today. Let's just finish. Just bring it back. Drop it up today. Let's get the whole thing done today. It's just tons and tons of this stuff, and let's surprise them down there at the second harvest food bank. Okay, boom. Number two. Here's number two, and this is the other thing we're going to do. Um, you've got a card like this near there. Uh, we did some of these uh, recently with groups. And we had 60-some-odd of you say, I need to be connected with other Christians, and got signed up, and we're getting connected. And now we're doing the same thing with serving. There's a little card right here. It's just real simple. If you today are hearing the words of Jesus, love your neighbor as yourself, and you're like, I need, I need to make a practical commitment to that. I want to make a strategic investment in loving my neighbor as myself, not just today with soup and canned goods and whatnot, but in an ongoing way. We got these cards right here. It says Serving Sunday. The back is super simple. Name, blah, blah, blah. Just I'm interested in serving on a team. Somebody's going to reach out to you. They're going to talk to you. You know, do you want to serve internally in the church as a greeter or with children's ministry or student ministry? Do you want to teach a class or do you want to serve externally? Do you want to go, you know, be on one of our love month teams or some service project or down at West Main feeding the homeless or whatever you want to do? Have a conversation with you. They'll get you plugged into the right place. Don't miss this. We want to get these filled out. We want you to do that. All right. Let me land this plane here. So here's the thing. My guess is that there might not be a single person in here who didn't already know that Jesus wants you to love your neighbor as yourself. That's my hunch, is that we all already knew that. And my hunch is that somewhere between where you are today and where Jesus is on this issue, you either need to have Jesus heal your heart or have Jesus strengthen your hands. That's my guess is that you either need to cultivate an attitude of love towards some people that you've been not loving, or you need to cultivate some actions of love that, that, that complete the attitude that God had already given you. And what I know is that if you do that, and you do that, and you do that, and I do that, and we do that, we will change the reputation of Christ's church in our region. 
which means we will change the reputation of Christ, which means people will come to know him and the glory of God will be magnified. And that'd be awesome. Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you for the good and simple teaching of our Master Jesus. It's, it's so hard to do, though. And we just pray, God, that you would help us to love our neighbor as ourself. I pray for people who need healing in their heart to develop, a, to develop an attitude, a heart of love toward all their neighbors. Anybody they see on the street, anybody whose paths cross, that's a neighbor, God. Cultivate an attitude of love in the hearts of your people. And I pray, God, for people who need you to do a work of strengthening their hands so that that attitude can turn into action, so that we would be actual lovers of neighbors. We want that, God. We give you all praise and glory. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, I invite you.